Hi, we're here today with Felici Crickla, um, Director at Asale Architecture, and Keith Brooks, Chairman at CAST. We're going to talk about later living and solutions to housing our aging population. Uh, hi, Felici. Hi, Keith. Thank you for coming in. No problem. Thanks, Bianca. Hiya. By 2066, a quarter of the population will be over 65, and the growth of the elderly population will be three times faster than that of the population as a whole. Felici, what options is the housing market currently providing for these people? Um, I mean, the state of the um, housing market for the elderly is is quite interesting because it's a very fragmented market um, at the moment. If you actually look at how it's described, for it's not really housing for the elderly. There are actually about 20 different names um, that would describe that. Um, it falls under three different categories, which are sort of mainstream housing, specialised housing and residential care. Um, with all these three, with, with um, sort of different um, level of care, a lot of what is found at the moment is quite institutional and it's really sort of healthcare led. Um, so not really aspirational in terms of, of uh, later living. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think the other, the other point to make uh, around that is the lack of um, quality in a lot of what's being produced at, at the moment. And by that, I don't necessarily mean design quality, because that's always subjective, but quality in terms of, is it fit for purpose in terms of the needs of uh, the future residents um, and the people that uh, are going to be you know, looking for that sort of accommodation in the future? And like all housing in the UK, there is a complete lack of supply. So choice is limited um, through a lack of supply, actually. Um, so is the, private, is the private sector building enough to house the elderly? So by this, I mean, do, what, what role do big companies like LNG play? And what role do institutional investors and pension funds play in, in building on the later living market? Well, they definitely have a huge role to play and they are playing it um, but I mean they're, they're sort of starting to play it I suppose it's something which is developing um, but when you look at what is being built at the moment McCarthy and Stone are still the biggest um, builder in the sector as far as I know and they build around 3,000 units per year. And when you compare it to Barrett, for example, who are building 17,000, um, you can see, and Barrett are not the only player in sort of house builders. I mean, it, there's a real sort of lack um, of, of supply from, from the private sector. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, the, the simple answer to your question, Bianca, is no, clearly they're not. They're not building enough, but you've got to ask why. Um, and the, the default is always to look at the big house builders. Um, but it's very difficult to blame them because they've got no reason to build retirement homes at the moment. They're completely incentivized through help to buy to focus on the entry, the first-time buyers. And there is, there is no commercial imperative on their behalf to build retirement homes of, of whatever description, whether it's erring towards the care side, as Felicity said, or whether it's just, you know, just some sort of retirement village or retirement um, uh, living. And until that changes, I don't think there's ever going to be a step change in delivery. 
I think what is interesting is some of the disruptors, as you mentioned, so LNG. And I think what they're looking at, and perhaps where there's quite an interesting angle, is the extent to which organisations such as the big investors who might provide pension or annuity products, they're linking those financial instruments to retirement living and thinking about how they can capture that um, uh, that demographic in terms of not just where they want to live, but actually the whole package of support that they need as they go through uh, through later life. So that's going to be a really interesting market to 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 see how successful LNG are with that strategy, for example, and how others might follow their lead. Yes, I think I do think that financial innovation is going to be really important. I mean. In a way, you have to make, you have to design the homes that are going to be aspirational. At the moment, people move when there's a crisis; um, they can't yeah. live, stay in their homes. But actually, if if the whole process of moving um, off, thinking about sort of planning for the future, savings, and sort of money was really facilitated, it would become a no-brainer. Um, it would make it so much easier for people to move. Um, so, Keith, you mentioned lack of um, commercial imperative to build as one of the challenges to, um, to build more on the late living market. Are there any other challenges or what is the biggest challenge you see? Well, I think ultimately, whenever you strip all this back down, it invariably comes down to money. So, you know, what makes commercial sense? And I think, the, as I said before, the biggest challenge to increasing supply is around the just the commercial structure and if you look at um, if you compare how how much it costs to build a retirement living facility compared to say normal housing if that's the right expression it's much more expensive um, you then layer onto that the same planning requirements whether it's SIL section 106 requirements etc and there is just no incentive to build or um, uh, later living. And more importantly, people like McCarthy and Stone or LNG will find this as well and another, other new entrants into the market. They can't compete on land price because all the cards are stacked, stacked against them. So how will that change? I think the fundamental change that we need is that central and local government because so much comes from that they have to recognize that there's an issue here and it doesn't matter how many times people articulate the problem in statistical terms there still seems to be this inertia around addressing it and the focus is all about help to buy whereas actually the focus should be about help to sell and how people can downsize in a way that doesn't leave them out of pocket or um, incentivize, incentivizes them to do that. And until we start to grapple that and actually start to have a few more nuances to the planning system, to the tax system, to the incentivization system around house building, I don't think we're ever going to change the fundamentals of the market. 
I completely agree. I mean, there's a real lack of, I mean, going back to the planning side of things, there's a real um, lack of clarity between C2 and C3, the differences between one from one local authority to another. Um, even across London, it's sort of not looked at in a similar sort of way. Um, and then, yes, this obsession with first-time buyers yeah. is certainly not helping. It is an obsession. I mean, it's it's it seems ludicrous not thinking about about the sort of all generations when thinking about about housing because one one can help the other really. I think. I mean, if you look at what's happened in the sort of built to rent sector, it's it's taken the industry and the government and various lobbying bodies and various white papers or whatever sort of. I don't know. Was it eight to ten years to recognise that actual renting is a different model? And now, finally, we're starting to see through the planning system this language of discounted market rent as a, as a alternative sort of social housing offer. I just don't think we can afford to wait that long on on later living. And I think that you know we we've demonstrated that actually we can nuance planning a little bit around and recognise the different tenure models. I just think we need to grasp that now and um, and recognise that whether it's through Section 106 agreements, whether it's through Sill, coupled with things like stamp duty uh, arrangements or capital gains tax, uh, you know, arrangements, something that incentivizes the freeing up of this housing stock, because that's that's the other side of the equation. So someone downsizes and moves into a retirement property, and they free up housing stock within boroughs where there's a huge demand for uh, for housing. So there's a sort of double whammy. It's not it's not people entering, sort of starting at the 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 entry level, which has helped to buy, which is important. But this there's a double whammy around later living and downsizing that. And to be honest, I mean, just thinking about people, you know, people and happiness, and they can actually they could actually lead much happier lives because being living in. Um, homes that are maybe easier to maintain or that are part of a community yeah, or there's a whole quality of life that can really be improved and you know it's well, this crisis thing that I was talking about you wait for people to actually become really ill or not being able to live on their own um, and the mental health issues around loneliness yes. and such like has a huge impact on social care yes and it, you can actually look at costs as almost being offset you know nhs yeah. costs and and through people having a better quality of life so f- from an architect's perspective um can building design contribute to transforming later living into an aspirational product? Well, I would say yes, of course, because when you look at, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, there are some very, very good um, examples of later living um, developments. Um, Some are very expensive and will never be, you know, um, attainable by by most of the population but what is there at the moment a lot of the product has been around you know for sort of 20 30 years and isn't really being looked at um, with sort of fresh eyes um, you know people all the generations they want the same as us really um, and I think we need to through design you can really um, create somewhere which is combining um, 
what people are after. So this this idea of the community and people feeling that they're not lonely, uh, but also giving the opportunity of the independence. You know, people want to have their own kitchen. They want to be able to live on their own um, and not necessarily feel like they're part of the community. Um, designing for flexibility as well. Um, is really important because you want to be able to move somewhere where, you know, you might not need care to start with, but you want to know that actually you you won't need to move again in five years' time when your needs change, uh, but you can add different levels of care. Um, and, and I think in... In terms of the design, um, the sort of the arrangement, the whole sort of management strategy, there's there, there's um, a lot that can be done to make this this sector much more aspirational. Um, so, Keith, what contribution can the London Plan make to building more and higher quality retirement housing? Um, well, undoubtedly, um, it c- it could potentially make a big contribution. Um, but I go back to an earlier point. Um, about recognising that there's a problem and that there's an issue in the first place. And I think the statistics to date recognise that there aren't that many local authorities who have actually got some form of plan or strategy in place for their elderly, elderly population or, or ageing population. So I think if through um, the London plan the GLA can take the lead in um, actively encouraging local authorities to address um, this particular um, uh, part of the housing, uh, the housing need, and I think also encourage them perhaps to be a bit more flexible, innovative perhaps with how they address um, uh, housing shortage generally with provision for for elderly care. And then go back to this point about you know if, if you if you can encourage people to downsize, then you free up housing stock. And you know I have heard, for example, that some um, at London authorities are starting to think, well, you know, if I can actually encourage someone to move out of a family home um, into a retirement living, well, maybe I'll rent the family home off, off them to people who are in the, in, in the housing list. And you start to think, well, hold on a minute, you're actually starting to solve two problems here in quite, quite a creative way. Felici, what, what do you think? Yes, well, um, it was interesting to look at the New London Plan and the, the policy age 15. Um, we did have a few comments um, on this sort of consultation, um, mainly to do with the fact, well, talking about the downsizer opportunity, um, as we've talked about already, the fact that the C2 definition is just too narrow, as we think, you know, in the way it is sort of described Um in there, but also that thinking that there should be a really much stronger commitment about the intergenerational opportunities, especially thinking when we think, you know, of some of the larger developments that um, we might design for investors, as you were saying before, um, and thinking that actually, yes, we need to provide affordable housing, but are there, you know, should we be thinking about the opportunity of generations and actually providing for the whole population, not just for, for a narrow section um, of millennials, really. Thank you, Keith. Uh, thank you, Felici, for coming in and talking about later living. Thank you. Thank you, Bianca. Pleasure.